Welcome everyone to a new episode of Data Driven Talk. I'm your host, Enrico Signoretti, and today I'm joined by the co-founder and uh, CEO of Storepool, Boyan Ivanov. Hi, Boyan. How are you? Hello, Enrico. I'm, I'm very well. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Uh, the topic for today is uh, data storage for a service provider. And I invited you because uh, Storepool is a, is a company really involved in uh, in making storage for this kind of uh, end users. So it uh, would be nice if you can introduce yourself and the company just to give a little bit of background to our listeners. Okay. So uh, Storpo is a company that started some six years ago. Uh, that was in the very end of 2011, after talking to a number of uh, service providers and also enterprise users like banks, etc. And their number one issue back then was storage. And I think it, it still is. And the problem is that it was hard to scale. It was very expensive. It imposed vendor walk-in. And we came up with this concept uh, that software should be the one thing used for storing data on standard servers. You don't need a specialized storage uh, appliance like a SAN. Uh, and we started working on this idea. Obviously, back then, it was not a hot topic or interesting topic. Over the years, it became uh, an interesting topic. Uh, but we're one of the um, older uh, companies of this new wave of software-defined storage technologies. And we specialize in uh, primary bulk storage to excel in it. And I'm one of the founders of the company, uh, leading mostly the business teams around uh, sales, go-to-market, uh, marketing, etc. You mentioned that uh, you talk with a lot of uh, uh, hosting cloud providers or MSPs, whatever SP, okay? And uh, you found that they have uh, different needs and, uh, you know, different challenges when it comes to storage compared to standard enterprise. What are the most important differences between, uh, you know, the traditional enterprise storage and a storage solution for these kind of guys? Service providers are in a way similar to enterprises in, uh, in, in the sense that they have to provide uh, robust solutions, mission-critical solutions. Uh, to a certain extent, actually, they are way more demanding than enterprises. So if you can excel at service provider level, it, it's easy for you to do enterprise. And the reason is very simple. Uh, you can imagine that for a majority of our customers, they are providing uh, public cloud services and their customers are uh, many, many enterprises. So you basically multiply the complexity, multiply the performance requirements, multiply the reliability uh, requirements where one enterprise might be okay with uh, their production systems being you know, heavily pushed to limits uh, eight uh, hours, uh, five days a week. For service provider, it's usually 24-7. Uh, from this point of view, service providers are um, you know, sometimes more advanced users than st standard enterprises. And on the other hand, they operate in this very competitive market. So they're working with lower margin. Uh, it's a lower margin business. So this makes their uh, job extra tough because they have to provide all the reliability and performance that an enterprise expects, but it has to come at a very uh, affordable price point. Yeah, there is also a difference in the in the kind of a complexity, okay? Because enterprises are very slow, as you said, and and sometimes they have several silos in their uh, infrastructure, okay? Most of the time, because they they have made choices many years ago, 
they started an infrastructure and then something changed maybe at mm-hmm. the application level and then so they implemented a new infrastructure and but they are still maintaining the old yep. stuff okay for the SPs it's a little bit different because uh, the complexity is moved on the size of the infrastructure on the number of the customers they are uh, serving at the same time but actually the number of silos is quite uh, limited right so is this something that you you see in the market do you have a a similar a similar you know perspective on it yes that's correct i think first if you look at uh, what is a a service provider today it comes in many forms and shapes you can have a purely hosting company it could be a new age cloud company that does scalable infrastructure online it could be a managed service provider that focuses in a different market segment like uh, their customers are mostly B2B, whereas a hosting company, their customers would be B2C, mostly. Uh, you have companies that are telcos, you have, um, um, you know, uh, VPS uh, providers, and, it, you know, there are many forms and shapes of service providers, and many of them are targeting different market segments, like some are targeting uh, small businesses, some are uh, targeting mid-market, some are targeting enterprise or specific industries like financial, insurance, automobile, etc. cetera. Uh, but still, if you look at traditional enterprise that has grown to a sizable company, over the years, they one had different type of applications and these applications require different types of solutions. Then many of these uh, enterprises have changed leadership like CIO, CTO, and they came with new idea, new concept, new technology. So that increased the complexity and created more silos. Then on top of that, you have uh, sometimes M&A growth and uh, buying companies with different technologies. So in an enterprise, you oftentimes end with many silos, like five, 10 technologies, different stacks that you're using. And if you look at a, a big uh, enterprise, you would find pretty much everything. You'll find VMware and Microsoft technologies and Unix and Linux and you know whatnot. If you look at the service provider, on the other hand, you would find maybe a couple of stacks, two to three stacks, uh, which are sizable. Uh, service providers are predominantly in the Linux stack. Like 90% of service providers are in the Linux stack. However, you have a number of companies that are doing VMware because their customers require it or because they are just started with VMware, have some Hyper-V. But usually, they change their stack on generations. Like they have a stack that said this is the pre- uh, predominant type of infrastructure they're using for the next five years. And then, for example, OpenStack comes along and then decide, you know, uh, they want to adopt this. And basically, they... They don't create, you know, three other stacks that are doing cloud stack and open stack and something else. They're usually getting one new solution and maybe keeping one of the other, but maybe replacing another one. So they're having two, three stacks versus an enterprise that might have, you know, silos of tens of stacks sometimes. Just to try to, to put it uh, in the simplest way, we, we can um, think about uh, uh, a list of functionalities that these kind of guys are looking for okay one is for sure multi-tenancy or and or mm-hmm. quality of service okay so the system has to um, be designed in a way that uh, you know can manage uh, multiple customers at the same time uh, I, i'm sure the scalability uh, I don't know in, in which form, scale up or scale out, but actually scalability is uh, quite important because you can't uh, 
afford to you know to to fill up a system and then mm -hmm. think about what I will do next. Okay, and um, another thing that I could uh, think about uh, in this case is fast provisioning because I'm sure that uh, these guys need uh, you know uh, mm -hmm. it happened to me at least. Okay, when I um, when I needed a virtual machine, I don't want to wait yeah. uh, days. Okay, I just go in the in the in the dashboard. I I know how much does it cost. I check the configuration and spin it up. Okay, I expect that. Yeah, you don't want to wait. You don't want to wait for the system administrator to look in the Excel file and two two weeks later come back with a, a volume for you. Right. And the same goes for the SLAs, okay? I can, so I am just uh, a guy at home and uh, I am okay with, uh, you know, 99.9% availability. Other guys want uh, five nines, so you need to manage uh, all that. And from the backend point of view, probably uh, these guys want to pay storage. Uh, uh, less than uh, they mm -hmm. would pay a traditional solution because uh, at the end of the day they make money on top of it so the mm -hmm. dollar per gigabyte is really important what, what else is important for these guys so uh, i don't know uh, analytics uh, mm -hmm. uh, i can throw everything okay so there, there are so many features there but uh, i this is i don't know this is a subset of uh, things that i think that are really really important yeah. today. Well, we, we can go and uh, kind of uh, say a couple of words about uh, any of these things. I think um, in summary, like high level, what is important for uh, service providers is feature number zero is reliability. Their solution, their entire stack should be rock solid mm -hmm. uh, because that's their business. Uh, the other thing that's very critical for them is performance, especially in terms of latency. Because if you have many customers competing for the same workloads or for the same underlying resources, then uh, usually it's not I/O that's the latency in the storage system. It's uh, it's not uh, I/O that's the bottleneck. It's the latency. Um, and the other thing is obviously price that comes at uh, levels that are making their business model work. Uh, and a big part of it is uh, OPEX-based pricing, meaning uh, pay-as-you-grow monthly recurring licenses. But you know, from, from the things you mentioned, like if you say multi-tenancy and QS, there are a couple of different things here. Like one is multi-tenancy where you can have many customers and you have isolation between the customers. And uh, this is typical for service providers. For enterprises, sometimes you need it. If you have different teams, you want to divide PNL, you want to divide access rights, etc. But for most part, you don't uh, require a multi-tenancy to such an extent. Now, quality of service is limiting uh, the capacity or performance that a single user of the system can get. And that's applicable both to enterprises and to service providers. Because in an enterprise, you might have you know, five different teams, marketing, legal, etc., that are using the same infrastructure to run CRM, legal systems, et cetera. And then they are competing for IO, for example, on the disk level, uh, on the storage subsystem. Uh, so basically you can do QoS there as well. Scalability is definitely something that's very important to a service provider. And now today the norm is scale out in terms of infrastructure. So you don't have to wait for another forklift to get in the data center and migrate data. 
you basically have a system that you can put more servers, more drives in this system, and the system online would replace, would rebalance the system. So it will increase the capacity of the system in terms of terabytes, and it will also increase the bios of the system. So that's scale out. But also very importantly, it will do this online. So we will have customer workloads running on top of the system while we are doing this. And I think this is a very good, uh, if you have to choose a, a storage system, look at a system that can do online resizing of your volumes, online uh, extension, online shrinking, online uh, upgrades of the system. So your data starts living in the in the software layer and you become, become freed from the hardware. You can have a river of commodity hardware running underneath and you can change generations of hardware, uh, take hardware and servers down for maintenance, but you know you don't depend on, on you're, you're not tied to this hardware. So this is more important to service providers, although it's the norm for an enterprise in the 21st century. Provisioning is usually done uh, increasingly so via APIs. So once you set up a system, any system, you basically don't want to go and have a person touching the system. Basically, everything is integrated. Everything is done through APIs, uh, which is very important for a service provider because they expose this and user interface to their customers and they can go and self-service, like the thing you mentioned. You can go, you can create a volume, you can delete a volume, create a VM, etc. You don't have to wait for a person to go and create your volume. That's very important. Uh, in terms of performance, thing I mentioned, um, latency is the ultimate uh, factor you have to look for in a storage system. And multiple SLAs, you mentioned something interesting about multiple SLAs. Service providers usually have to have, very simplified, they have to have um, one SOA for the most part, like not one SOA, but very strict SOA and less uh, levels of SOAs. Just because they have many customers, these customers usually play in global markets, meaning that they have to be up all the time, you know, 2 a.m., 5 p.m., 8 a.m., doesn't matter for them. Because they overlap, your SOA has to be really strict. Whereas enterprise can say, on Sunday, my bank is not going to be open. I'll just like do backup, I'll do maintenance. But for service provider, that's usually not the case. So basically, their SOA is higher than uh, traditional enterprise. Um, I get the picture. Um, but uh, uh, there is still something that it's not totally clear to me. So uh, in the enterprise space, we are talking a lot about hyper-converged uh, infrastructure now. Okay, We moved from... Uh, convergence to hyperconvergence and uh, it's uh, you know it's always uh, in the discussion what is happening in the in the service provider space are they doing the same or uh, uh, do they scale compute and storage uh, in separate ways uh, yeah that, that's an interesting question I think that's that's a, a, a difference there so if you look at uh, hyperconvergence, it's usually the concept of combining storage and compute, and it makes sense in two cases. One is to reduce the cost of a system at the low end, like if you if you're just starting, instead of having a uh, three servers for compute and a SAN or all flash array or software defined storage solution on standard uh, servers, a different set of servers, you just do hyperconverge. You do three servers you know, two switches and that's it. So it's simplicity and it's also reducing the cost at a small scale. As you scale this workload, 
basically you might have economy of scale when you divide storage and compute. So basically this means that if you have a larger infrastructure, you have 100 terabytes or more, usually it's more cost uh, efficient to have storage and compute that are separate. Now, in our deployments, we see about 50-50 being hyper-converged and standalone storage systems. But I think you know, the trend that we're seeing is this is boring now in, in the service provider space. You know, more and more of our customers are moving to a place where they have both hyper-converged systems in the same cluster, in the same IT uh, space, and they have standalone storage system and compute-only system. So sometimes if they need compute and storage uh, all together, they basically buy more servers and run hyper-converged. But sometimes they just need more compute power. They put only clients of the system. Sometimes they need storage. So with us, you know, that's, I think, the beauty of software-defined technologies, like software-defined storage in particular, because you can now run hyper-converged, standalone, and uh, compute-only workloads in the same network, in, in, in the same solution. So that allows you to mix and match. The other benefit of hyper-converged for the enterprise, especially simplicity. So that's something that, gotcha. you know, besides uh, sizing, besides, um, you know, performance, it's the simplicity that I think appeals more to service providers, uh, to, uh, to enterprises, because, you know, they have one UI, one solution from one vendor, and it makes sense for that segment. Another question that I have for you is, is about uh, uh, what's uh, on... On, on the top layers, okay? So what do they use to manage uh, this uh, kind of infrastructure? Okay, we talk, uh, you know, for, for several years now about OpenStack, but I don't know, I don't see it uh, uh, coming at the end, okay? It looks like that it's a shrinking community. We are still have VMware, but you mentioned that 90% of these guys have, uh, uh, have Linux. So uh, what do they manage How do they manage their uh, infrastructure? Okay, that, that's a very, very good question. And actually, it's a very interesting development on the market because we're also tracking enterprise. We're talking also to enterprise customers, although majority of our customer base is service providers. And you see several trends. One trend is people were trying to get uh, away from uh, companies that are providing vendor walk-in. So that's, you know, you can think of a couple of names there, like the predominant players in the enterprise virtualization market. And I think this is what was fueling OpenStack as concept and adoption. However, OpenStack turned out to be a bit more complex than people expected. So people, I think st some people started going back to VMware. Some people were looking at other solutions like uh, CloudStack, OpenNebula, et, et cetera, et cetera. Some, some build their custom cloud management system. I think the, the common denominator is that everybody, both enterprise and service providers, are moving to a scale uh, or to business dynamics. It's driven by the business. They need uh, speed, agility, flexibility, that they start to manage the infrastructure with a system of a higher level. That's a cloud management system that orchestrates all the workloads, all the IT. So... Uh, either companies are going to a solution like trying with OpenStack. Sometimes they don't like it. They go back to VMware. Sometimes they go to other tools. So that's kind of a very dynamic market. Um, then you have some enterprises that are going to Amazon, going to Google, going to Azure. They want to you know, adopt everything uh, in the cloud to move, migrate everything to the cloud. 
And from what I see, a big part of it is either trying to reduce operational expenses and cut salaries internally. I think that's the biggest savior because Amazon, if you do the cloud, is not that expensive. You know, you can do a private cloud at a small scale and be cheaper than Amazon. You know, the thing is that in many cases you need to have staff internally and a lot of people cannot find staff. You know, IT talent is very scarce. I think that's a main driver of the market today. And people don't realize it. They say, oh, could cost with Amazon, etc. Well, maybe yes, maybe no. But I think the actual driver is there are not enough skilled people that can help you, you know, do what you do. So that's a driver. And we also see on the other side of this, we see companies that go in Amazon. They, they have this idea of being 100% cloud company. But over this journey, they realize that, well, Amazon is not that fast. You know, I can get a, a, a smaller service provider that's more flexible. I can find a service provider that sometimes does better SLA or it's more predictable performance or my workload, you know, doesn't live with the latency in the cloud. So they actually go out again on the market after being, for example, uh, Hyper-V or VMware or Linux. They go to uh, Azure or they go to Amazon and they go out of Amazon again. So it's a very dynamic market. I think... Uh, with so many solutions, I think we still have a gap for a good cloud management system that simple, powerful works well. Um, and that's a, a, an interesting observation, even though we have so many uh, cloud management systems out there. So you're telling me that uh, the, there is an evolving situation somehow and these customers are looking uh, for uh, yeah, uh, all cloud or cloud first uh, um, kind of approach, then they to realize that uh, it's not as easy as it sounds, then you're going to go back. And uh, But you also said me an, uh, another interesting thing about uh, mm-hmm. so some of uh, some several providers are looking at CloudStack or Open Nebula. Are they still a thing? Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, I lost track of this uh, cloud management system a long time ago, and uh, I thought that uh, they were going to die any day. But actually... Uh, you are you mentioned that. So is is this a new thing or is this uh, something, uh, you know, that someone uh, implemented two, three, four years ago? I think now I see I see them coming today as well. So I think it's obviously it's a storage market is a very big market, and you have many different types of companies that have different objectives, different teams, different uh, idea, different strategy, and they want different tools. Uh, because their use cases are vastly different. So um, like on a very high level, I think OpenStack is a big project, uh, but I think it's kind of starting to lose team to a certain extent. I think some people are going to Qualstack uh, after they don't like, you know, for whatever reason, OpenStack is not their, uh, it's not a good fit for their use case. So they say, okay, what else is on the market? Sometimes they will get Qualstack and other solutions. Uh, I think from the other projects, I think Open Nebula is a smaller alternative, but it because it's it's simple and it works very well. It, it I think it's gaining steam, like Open Nebula in particular. Uh, obviously, this is for uh, you know small mid market deployments. If you, if you need to run you know ten thousand servers, I don't think OpenStack can run ten thousand servers in one in one domain well. Um, so I think Open Nebula you know, doesn't have the very, very complex functionality you can expect from OpenStack. But for you know 80% of the cases, it might be a very good alternative. So I think this is why it's driving its growth. So 
I, I think there is no one answer for to, to, to your question. I think you know a lot of solutions are still working for different mar uh, subsets of the market. There is not one solution that will take all the all the deployments. Right. And what about uh, uh, Kubernetes and all the container movement? Uh, because uh, we are talking a lot about containers everywhere, but then we are still struggling with the storage part with uh, for this uh, kind of technology. Um, like in, in our market segment, uh, we haven't seen a lot of service providers actually running a lot of containers. And the reason is the, the security issues around that. Uh, and there are ways to solve, but it's it's becoming a rather complex way to solve it. So I think where containers don't you know don't don't have their uh, you know a significant portion in the market in um, service providers for enterprise, I think it makes more sense. Uh, but we haven't seen a lot of actually um, um, container projects in in our practice, which is strange. You know, this is I think. This is, you know, uh, the how they call it a hype cycle. So you have a lot of buzz yeah. and a lot of people talking about containers, but then, you know, we don't see as many people using it. Almost no people using it, at least in our domain. Okay, it didn't it didn't happen yet, and probably it will uh, happen uh, in enterprise first because the the environment is more controlled. So you don't have uh, the same kind of uh, yeah issues that you could have uh, with a service provider i get it so uh let, let's start to talk a little bit about store pool so how do you solve this uh, kind of challenges because we talked about the issues we yeah but potential solution but a very abstract level so uh, can you describe a little bit uh, your solution how do you implement uh, um, the solution we discussed about uh, you know scale uh, scaling provisioning apis and so on and and see how it fits mm -hmm. in the market okay so um when when we started building store pool we were we decided that we want to be the best in the world at something and not average at everything mm -hmm. and in our case we set to build block storage software So we wanted to be the fastest, the most reliable, robust product on the market that is also very efficient. Uh, back then, these words like uh, buzzwords like software-defined storage, hyperconvergence, they were almost non-existent back then. But you know, from the design, we said we want to focus on a particular segment for a particular set of customers because no solution can you know solve any pain on the market. So we said we're going to replace SaaS solutions, all flash storage solutions other storage software that existed but were not uh, new age. For example, they were not scale out. They couldn't run hyper on the same servers. They were taking too much RAM or CPU, or um, they, you know, they were not able to scale in the petabyte range. So we said, okay, this is what we want to build. And obviously anybody who needs storage on block level and they want it to be fast, reliable and cost efficient, Uh, they can use our software. So uh, the pain points that we solve, solve are actually on a business level. So we say, okay, you want your business to be faster, more agile. Uh, that's you know the flexibility of deployment of a software-defined storage solution. You want to have a more competitive business. That's usually reducing the total cost of your uh, entire IT infrastructure layer because we also heavily optimize compute part. We optimize networking part. Uh, you have uh, happier customers, uh, less churn, less support tickets, less um, 
uh, and higher word of mouth because of the product quality increased reliability, which is delivered by features like um, uh, wife migration, high availability, and things that are built in this infrastructure uh, and in this solution from the very first day. Uh, that's, I think, unique about StorePool is that we designed it from the ground up. So anything you can imagine, like API provisioning, we have it. Full scalability and scale-out technology, we have it. Uh, doing snapshots and cones and quality of service, we have it. Having um, data integrity end-to-end -end from the volume to the data, to the drives and back through the software stack, to the net through the networking stack, we have it. And I haven't seen anybody else having it to the extent that we have it. Uh, and all these things, so basically... Uh, like in a couple of words, the solution just works and does what it delivers, very mundane. And that's, I think, a big driver of our success. It just delivers on what uh, people have to uh, have to do in their day-to-day -day life. Let me uh, go deeper in the technical details then. Um, so this is a scale-out solution. You, it's installed in uh, x86 servers, running Linux, potentially several versions of Linux, I think. And um, you just uh, take care of all the devices in the machine that could be all flash, mostly on flash, but also disks, I don't know. And you make a large storage pool of all the resources. Then you carve out uh, whatever it is needed for uh, each single customer and you, you can apply policies to these volumes uh, to get uh, better QoS or or, um, you know, all the other things that you can do on this volume. Is it a, a block storage at the end? Does it present itself as a, uh, as a you know, uh, iSCSI device? As a, how does it work? If, if you look at the architecture of Stropo, basically it has um, three components, very high levels. You have the client of the system, which we call um, client. And basically this is the service that provides a local block device to the host that is going to consume the storage service. Uh, and you can install it in a hyper-converged manner with the second piece of StorePool, which is the StorePool server. And the StorePool server takes care of local drives and talks to other StorePool servers so it can form a shared storage system out of many different servers. And you know they talk to each other and present a local block device uh, through the client. Another thing we can do is also we have a nice SCSI protocol for uh, standard uh, for deployments to other ecosystems like VMware, Hyper-B, etc. And you have the management piece of soft of StorePool that talks to the client or the servers and basically creates volumes, uh, attaches volumes, deletes volumes, etc. You don't need it to process storage operations, like the servers talk to uh, to each other and you know push data through the client uh, to the uh, user on top of the system on the block device. Uh, besides that, it's a standard bulk device you'd get. For example, you can have a, a bulk device that appears just like a, a, a regular disk on a particular server, but it has one petabyte of storage. It's because of shared storage system underneath, uh, but for the local user, it appears just like a C drive or a D drive on, on their um, system. And then you can format it on top with uh, whatever file system you want. You can have uh, standard file system, you can have cost file system like um, OCFS or something like that. And you, you can do multi-attach with StorePool. So that allows you to do cluster file system on top of it. Probably the most interesting thing uh, mm -hmm. is that you can provide storage yeah. to, to you know, local virtual machines or whatever, local, uh, the local Linux machine, as well as external machines. So 
it's a hyper converged and at the same time is a standalone storage solution yep. uh, depending on uh, you know the needs of the customer at that specific moment not not even uh, if something comes up and he needs an ice casilon just uh, you, you just create the, the volume. Yeah, for example, what this allows you to do a practical, like what you've seen in our customers. For example, you might have one storage layer that services uh, several stacks. Like you have your OpenStack cloud and Strop would run on the OpenStack hypervisors themselves in a hyperconverged manner. But this same Storpool cluster can also provide via ISCSI storage to a VMware server farm. And then maybe to your uh, Zen server farm. Uh, and in this cluster, you know, you might have three generations of hardware because you bought, let's say, servers five years ago, then two years ago, you grow and you get a new generation of servers. And you have this very powerful solution that can, one, uh, help you consolidate the storage across many hypervisors, stacks, and platforms. But then it can also tolerate uh, usage of standard hardware in hyper-converged or segregated standalone uh, manner, and it can tolerate different uh, different generations of this hardware. So it really frees you up from this, you know, thinking about what type of server should I get, what type of SAN should I get, you know, what what do I do when I outgrow my SAN because it's a scale-out system, or what do I do if the SAN is already old and I have to decommission it and migrate data, you know, that's pain, that's risky, that's a lot of time to copy data if volumes are big. Whereas, as, you know, this software-defined world, you just add more hardware and the data just automatically shifts to, to the new devices. So this is something that's, you know, the practical usage of, of this type of technology. Do, do you use a, a flash only now or uh, do you have hybrid solutions uh, for those customers that also need some... Uh capacity for their application, but not a lot of performance. So basically we can do uh, three things. Uh, we can do HDD only systems. We can do flash level systems, which are all flash uh, or with a specific system that we do, which we call SSD hybrid, which is basically delivers all SSD performance because it keeps a full copy of data on SSD, but uh, keeps redundant copies on HDD to reduce cost. And we also have fully NVMe systems in production with RDMA capability, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we have a full spectrum of solutions. Usually it's like three performance tiers. One is HDD only, the other one is SSD tier, and the third one is NVMe, which is just bringing down the latency. Uh, and you can mix and match. For example, uh, ideally, in a 21st century, you would have a flash system that holds your primary data. You know, all your primary data should be sitting on SSD like virtual machines, databases, et cetera. And you will be shifting uh, data that's not hot or uh, or performance requirements like backups, archivals to HDD system if you need you know, online access to the data, obviously. Uh, so that makes it very simple. The reason why people are not doing it is just because all flash systems are still very expensive. And this is the reason why we did this SSD hybrid technology that delivers all flash performance, but at lower cost. So basically, uh, most of our systems in production are primary storage systems that are flash level of performance, although we have a fair bit of HD systems, sometimes in the same pool. So you can have a virtual machine that's running on HDD. You can say, oh, this virtual machine needs more performance. You can live migrate the virtual machine to an SSD media. Uh, and you know, the, the store pool system does migration in the background while you have uh, customer operations running on top of the system. There are some uh, uh, really unique features that I spot in your uh, uh, talking here, but uh, I'm still curious. Why 
what is the real differentiation between you and our solution in the market? I, I mean, uh, for example, you know, Ceph is really common now. Why someone uh, uh, should uh, buy store pool instead of uh, installing uh, Ceph? I think Ceph is a good tool, uh, but its primary design is object store. Um, and at, at some point, if you, if you have the use case, it, it, it's a use case driven, a, a need driven. Stropo usually comes as a, a, an upgrade to Ceph. So if you're fine with Ceph, with the performance you get from Ceph, you know, stay with it. If, if uh, you don't need 24-7 uh, support or somebody to, you know, help you out with storage, maybe Ceph is a good tool for you. Like the type of customers that we get are people that sometimes are using Ceph but realize that Ceph cannot replace a high-end SAN or they cannot compete with all flush rate. Just because the architecture set is not designed to do, you know, millions of IOs at uh, sub-millisecond latency. They were optimized for something else. And this is the type of customer that we usually get. A person that really needs a lot of IO at a very competitive price point with a 24-7 support and they have somebody to call if something's out. So basically, compared to other solutions like SANS or O-Flash Arrays, our value proposition is very simple. You get faster system than an O-Flash uh, box. Uh, it, it is less expensive than an O-Flash box. And also you can run hyper-converged workloads on the same solution, like on the, on the servers, and you eliminate vendor walk-in. It's very simple. So I think Storpo excels in this quadrant where people need uh, fast, reliable systems uh, at an affordable price. I think that's kind of the market we opened. This leads me to the next question. So, when um, does it make sense to think about store pool and it doesn't? So, this, the minimal size of a cluster or the, the max size or some specific uh, characteristic that uh, the customer should have to implement your solution? Okay. That, that's, that's a very good question. I think a lot of people think that if you have a software defined technology, it can do everything. And I think as any solution, it fits in, in particular particular use cases and doesn't fit in other particular use cases. Um, so in this regard, Storpo is a very good solution if you need a fast primary storage system that, uh, that delivers block level storage and uh, can scale from, let's say, 10 terabytes is the small end to petabytes in, in the same cluster. You know, a couple of petabytes uh, it can do more, but usually people just do availability zones because it, it's kind of, you don't put all your eggs in one basket. But I think if you're looking for a distributed file system, that's not Storpo. If you're looking for object store, that's not Storpo. There are other vendors that deliver good solutions in this domain. So if you're looking at a solution that can store, you know, two terabytes, Storpo, you know, it, it's a powerful technology that's designed for, you know, a petabyte, you know, hundreds of terabytes, you know, that the volume just get, gets... It gets better as, as it grows. So I think that's the sweet spot. Primary storage for, you know, anywhere from, um, you know, 50 terabytes to a petabyte bulk level storage with scalability, API control, 24-7 support, proactive monitoring, go home, quality of service. That's kind of the main market or the main use cases. And now the product is uh, licensed. Uh, the product is licensed uh, in terms of uh, capacity that you're using. So we have basically a couple of tiers, which are the SSD tier and the HDD tier, because there, you know, one is primary storage and needs a lot of performance. The other one is slower and bigger drives. Usually the price is per terabyte HDD, per terabyte SSD per month. Uh, so basically, uh, another thing that we see happening on the market is 
more and more companies, enterprises and service providers alike are going to OPEX-based pricing. So they want to have a pay-as-you-grow service. They don't want to commit to huge hardware or software licenses upfront, and they don't know how much they will be using. So we have a minimum monthly fee, and above that, everything is like uh, consumption-driven uh, and paid on monthly uh, monthly license. Uh, we also have uh, packages that you can prepay certain capacity uh, ahead of time, which gives you discount and kind of resembles CapEx-based model. Uh, but for the most okay. part, it's uh, capacity-driven pay-as-you-grow. Do, do you have a, you know, a free license or something uh, that I can download to, to try the product somehow or uh, so currently no like um, because we've seen software defined technologies uh, are only as good as the hardware that they work on so for the time being we have a free 30 day trial but for that one you just send us a, an email and we can work with your team to understand what type of hardware do you have is it compatible with uh, our technology you know how it, it would going to work well and then we help you with the uh, installation process and do a, a, a trial or test of the system on uh, your servers told me about store pool looks uh, very interesting how can we find more about uh, your company and uh, and this technology, can, can you give us a bunch of links uh, and uh, and your Twitter account if you have one, so to start a conversation? Sure. Uh, like you have loads of materials at uh, storepool.com, which is spelled S-T-O-R. So everything you told me about Storepool looks very, very interesting. And um, what can we do to, um, to contact you uh, if uh, someone is uh, interested in... Um, more information going deeper in uh, in the technology and in the yeah. product uh, they can uh, check our website at uh, storepool.com which is spelled s-t-o-r-p-o-o-l.com or they can send us an uh, email at info at storepool.com and we'll uh, definitely get back uh, to them that's great Boyan, thank you very much again for your time today. And uh, it was a very nice conversation, and I hope it was also useful for our listeners. And uh, I will see you probably in a couple of weeks at uh, Cloudfest, right? Are you? Will you be there? Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. Thanks. Well, we'll be exhibiting there at uh, Cloud Expo Europe in the week after, and then a bunch of other events of, of the uh, world this year. So happy to meet people. That's great. Thank you very much and uh, talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank, thanks for having me. Bye.